0: In your Bibles, could you please turn with me to the epistle of the Hebrews, chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verse 23 and all the way down to the end of the chapter. That's the epistle of the Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 23 to the end. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to have had suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, Once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. This is the reading of the word and the living and true God. Let us pray. Eternal and loving, gracious Father, we come to your word yet again. Lord, I ask that you'll teach us. Father, we pray that you'll rebuke us where rebuke is needed. And Father, encourage where encouragement is needed. And Lord, will you edify your saints. But Lord, may it be to the glory of thy great, great name. For your glory, O Lord, we come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 So, this evening, we're going to be looking at verse 27 in the ninth chapter of the Epistle to the Hebrews. I'm sure if you've been out in the open air, this is a particular verse of scripture that is one that is used very often in the open air because it is short and straight to the point. I wanted us to visit this particular verse today as I do believe that we are living in a day, even within the church, that the reality of death is one we will often brush to one side. It is not the subject you want to bring up at a family get-together or in company, as I'm sure it would stale the conversation. We see in the day that we live, with all that has gone off with the pandemic and what forth, that we, not just as a nation, but as a world, are absolutely terrified of disappointment we all will have. We don't know what to do with death. We seem to try everything possible to ignore it. We we bury it in our heads as our heads in the sand, hoping it will just go away. Even as I speak to you today, I'm sure there will be a general unease about this topic. But unfortunately, it is unavoidable and we must discuss it. Just before Christmas, uh, we held a funeral at Jacksdale of a fellow brother in the Lord. I think I speak for everyone who was there. I'm sure there were some of you here that it was such a sense of peace knowing, yes, this man has passed away. But he was a believer in the Lord Jesus. And we know that this man is now absent from the body but he is at home with the Lord. If it was possible to speak to that brother and ask him if he would like to come back, I guarantee you he would gladly decline the offer. He now stands in glory, free from sin, and now he is giving praise to his Saviour in perfect communion. And if we are in Christ this evening, each and every single one of us long to be in perfect communion with him like our brother but on the other hand brethren there was a sense of reality looking at the coffin when it was brought in Maya, and myself Ryan were only just speaking to this man maybe a few months before he passed and within that short time he is met with that appointment and he is met with appointment and yes even though he's a Christian he is met with judgment It really is a wake-up call to us Christians that, yes, even though we will be with Christ, death is a reality regardless of age, sex, and colour. I think it's ironic in the day that we live, we are told to prepare for so many things, save money for a house deposit, get the right pension, get the right job, so you can live comfortably. And yes, I'm not saying that these things are not important, But when we are told to prepare for that appointment, we bury our heads in the sands and we say we don't want to talk about it. We do not want to listen. It's like the elephant in the room, but we do not want to think about it. I know I'm not just speaking about myself. I know that there are people here because we're human that we all brush this to one side. But I just want to give you some statistics. 163,898 people die in a 24-hour period. That's 6,829 per hour, and it's 144 people per minute. And really, every time you click your fingers, every second, every three seconds, somebody falls into eternity. I don't know what them statistics do to you, brethren. These 163,000 people every day are entering into eternity. And these people are either going into eternal punishment or everlasting life with Christ. And what is even sobering, even more sobering, is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there be few, few who find it. So if we take Jesus At face value, the majority of this 163,000 people every single day are walking on the Broadway and they are heading for destruction. This is why we must not brush over this topic, Christian or non-Christian. If you're a Christian today, you and I hold the only truth that this dying world has. And if you are not a Christian you even more must not brush this under the carpet because the very next verse says, death comes, then judgment will follow that appointment. So this is what we are going to be looking at this evening, this short but sobering verse, which leads me to my first heading. What is death? What is death? It's a fair question people may ask, Uh, You here today may even be asking the same question yourselves. Why is there death in the world? If there is a God, why is there such a thing as death? But I would say this also, brethren, even though every single person will be affected by death, I'm sure you would all agree with me, death is unnatural. I don't know if you've heard the saying, Death is just another natural part of life. We may have even said it ourselves. I know I have said it many times, but the word of God tells us quite the opposite. The Bible is clear that death is an enemy. In first Corinthians 15, it reads, for he, that's Jesus, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. But the last enemy that will be destroyed Is death. And that is why death is something that is so painful for us. Even if we know someone is going to die, a loved one, maybe a family member, it is still earth shattering. Even if we are so called prepared for that particular situation, it is still a tragedy. Having someone taken from you who you love is the pain is immense. And I'm sure there are people in this room who have gone through that. But what we must understand, brethren, at the beginning, in the beginning, when God created man, there was no death. There was no pain and there was no sorrow. When God first created this earth and placed Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them just one commandment. You may eat of every tree in the garden. But do not eat from that tree, the tree of knowledge, lest you will die. God gave Adam and Eve a choice in the garden. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will die. Adam and Eve in those, in that, in that first, in the beginning had the ability, had the choice to either obey God and live And reject the, or reject the commandment of God and subsequently die and cause the fall of mankind. Some of you may be sat here and asking, what is so special about that piece of fruit? How can one piece of fruit cause death and everything we see out there, which has followed that event? You may be asking that. And I can tell you this. The answer is very, very simple. There was nothing special about that particular piece of fruit. I have no doubt in my mind that that tree looked exactly the same as the rest. I am convinced that that piece of fruit looked no different than any other piece of fruit in that garden. This is the difference. God said, you will not eat from that tree. That's it. Do not eat from this tree because I have told you, do not eat from this tree. Because I said so. I have created you. I have placed you in this beautiful garden, giving you all things. I just ask one thing. Do not eat from that tree. It really is hard to imagine how wonderful it would have been for Adam and Eve before they rebelled against God. They would have been in perfect communion with God our maker Fulfilling our chief end, if we know the first question to the shorter caters, because of what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And they would have been doing that in perfect communion. We can't imagine it because of this body of death we live in. Sin entangles every part of our life, even our best bits that we think are pure. But brethren, we know when we just do a little bit of self-examination, deep down, sin. He is ever present. We know the rest of the event in the scriptures. Adam and Eve gave into the temptation of the serpent and disobeyed God. What we must understand is when Adam fell, we fell with him. The whole of the human race was brought into subjection of sin. Theologians call it the federal headship of Adam. In the garden, Adam represented All of mankind. Paul tells us in his epistle to the Romans in chapter five, verse 12, therefore, just as one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And this death spread to all men because all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So when the first sin was committed, sin and death entered into the world. From this one event, we see the devastation of what sin has brought into the world. And let us not think, brethren, let us not think for one minute if it was us in the garden that we would have done any better. We would have obeyed. Let us not flatter ourselves, brothers and sisters, because I know that that passing thought does enter into our mind time and time again. Even if you take Adam out of the picture, how many times have we all sinned and fallen short of God's glory? You may be saying to yourself, it just seems unjust. All they did was eat a piece of fruit Surely God is overreacting. If that is you today, brethren, let me just tell you this. God created all things, whether they be in heaven, whether they be on earth. He has placed the planets in their orbit and they obey their orbit. He has said to the oceans, you shall come this far and no more. And they obey. He says to man, you don't eat from that tree. You don't eat from that tree. And what do we say? No, no, I want that tree. I want it. I want that way. It's my way or the highway. And that is the arrogance of man. We see it with the gospel message, don't we? Christ is crucified and he says, come, receive a free gift. Come. And we say, no, 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 we don't want that. We want it our way. We'd rather drag our knees and go to hell and try and be saved by our own than receive a free gift. That is the arrogance of men. Sin is not just a mistake. It's not just a slip up. It is an act of cosmic treason against the king of kings. And the sentence, my brothers and sisters, as I'm sure you are aware, is death. Simple. Act of treason. The sentence is death. So the question is, why is there sin? Why is there death in the world? It is because of sin. Paul tells us in Romans six, the wages of sin is death. It is our wages that we have earned and we deserve the death penalty. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we have earned this fate. Again, this is something that the world hates. The natural man, the one who is unregenerate, sees this as a complete insult. Man sees himself, as I said last week, relatively good. So when this is preached in the streets, it causes offense, it causes offense, and it's as it is saying to people, look, the reason why you die, your family members die, as much as that is painful, is because We have sinned because we have sinned. And they say God is unjust. God is unjust, they say. And really, it's quite the opposite. As much as this is hard to hear, we are getting what we deserve. And that makes the world angry. It makes them scorn. It makes them hateful. We also live in a day, unfortunate that says, well, if death is inevitable, then we may as well live and drink and eat and marry for tomorrow we die. Let's go out and do what we please. And I say this, is this not the way of the world? Is that not the way that you see you go into the town center? I say, if anybody disagrees with me, go into the town center on an evening and you will see what I have been saying. Let's eat Drink, be be merry, for tomorrow we die. If it's not bulls-fueled or sexual pleasures, it's other things. Materialism, life ambition, and many more. These are just a few things that the world does to try and make them happy. And in doing this, they forget for a time that age and illness will creep upon them. And they are happily ignorant in that state for many years until one day it is too late and the problem with this attitude is this not that death happens which is awful but what it says in the very next sentence it says it's appointed for men to die once but what then the judgment follows not what you'll hear out there once you're dead you're dead i'm just nothing not reincarnation Not that you'll be a spirit wandering around, floating around the earth for all of eternity. No, it says judgment. And we must remind ourselves of this as just as certain as death is, it is the only thing we're promised, brethren. Just as certain as death is, so will follow judgment. So will follow judgment, which leads me on to my second heading and it's called a certain judgment a certain judgment I know the vast majority if not all of you here today are Christians and I have spoken to you on the judgment of God probably twice already when I have been here but it is something that we must consider time and time again we are prone to get comfortable and even slack in regards to the reality of judgment God is a God of justice, which you all know, which subsequently means that he is a God of judgment. I'm not going to spend much time on this point, but I cannot just skip over it because the Bible reads as it reads. And it is written that following the death of a human being, after this will follow judgment. Even us Christians who have been saved by the blood of Christ, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, even though that judgment will not lead to condemnation and it does not determine our salvation, it is in fact something we must consider, brethren, because we must stand before God and give an account. We are told we will do so. We must be concerned with what it says about those who are not yet in Christ, even more so. Hebrews 10 says, and it is not preached in pulpits enough today, this what it says you go to the contemporary church, I guarantee you, you will not hear what it says, what I'm about to read to you. It says in Hebrews 10, it is a fearful, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Brethren, I want to ask you, and I'm not asking for a response, but I want to ask you in your heart, what does that do to you and me? If we are saying, well, well, I'm a Christian, that doesn't apply to me. I really want to encourage you to think about this. What about those we know who are not yet believers? What about our family members? Those who we know that stand over the parapet of hell and if they die without Christ, there is no hope for them. Don't let us fall into that mindset, brethren. And it's so really easy as to fall into that mindset. How else are these people going to stand? The world has this mindset as well, where people say, well, if there is a God, if there is a God, okay, you're right, Mr. Preacher, there is a God. I've heard that he is a God of love. He surely won't send me to hell, will he, Mr. Preacher? How often in the open air have you heard this particular objection that God is a God of love and that is all he is? But Hebrews 2, 3, earlier on in this epistle, it says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. And what the apostle Peter says is even more sobering. For if God did not even spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. That's Second Peter 2. God did not even spare his own son, but delivered him to suffer on the cross and be crushed under his wrath. That we deserved. That high that is how serious this judgment is. It took the death of God's own son to save us from the wrath which will come. It will come. This is so serious, brethren. We must take the gospel of Christ seriously. We cannot, just because we are safe in Christ, sit in our pews or our chairs and watch a dying world go to hell. Judgment is coming. And I ask myself, brethren, so please hear me and hear the spirit of what I'm saying. Why are we not more broken for this world? Why are we not more broken, brethren? Our family members who are not yet saved, if they do not repent and turn to Christ, they will perish. They're not going to stand there and say, well, my, my so-and-so, my nephew, he was a Christian. You will stand there before God on your own and they will stand there before God on their own. We cannot be a people who hide under the sovereignty of God. I am a Calvinist. We believe in the doctrines of grace and I believe in the sovereignty of God that every single person who Christ died for will be in heaven. They will. There's no doubt about it. But we cannot be a people who use that and say, well, something will happen elsewhere. We can't be brethren. We need to be broken for every soul that has not yet come to Christ Jesus because it really is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God outside of Christ. Lastly, before I come to my final point, if you today are not in Christ and you are thinking to yourself, well, as I've already said, Nick, I'm not perfect, but I certainly do not think that God will judge me. I am a good person at heart. You, Mr. Preacher, do not know what you are talking about. Then let me tell you this. If the eating of one piece of fruit led to the fall of mankind and all the sin and misery that we see today, how much more will God deal with us and all the sin that we have done? Lying, fornication, all the sins that we know that we are guilty of. Whether it might not be that sin, it'll be that sin. We're all guilty. How will God deal with us? Taking the name of the Lord in vain. How often did we do that before we were Christians? The list would be endless. That is why it's not to be overlooked. This is a matter as of, as I have said, of life or death, heaven or hell. And this is why in the open air, in telling any, we should be telling every single person we possibly can about this good news, about the gospel of Christ. And this is why we first, when we are in the open air, or whenever we are preaching the gospel, We must first give the diagnosis. A man who has cancer does not, is not ready for the treatment unless he is first diagnosed. And this is the diagnosis. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The diagnosis, friends, is sin. That is the diagnosis. Sin is separated from a holy and righteous God. We need A substitute. We need a second Adam. A perfect, righteous, spotless saviour. And nothing less will do. And no amount of crying and apologising on that final day if you're not in Christ will suffice. And I know that is terrifying if we are outside Christ. But this leads me to my final point, which is such the, such good news and the best point. And my final point is this. The Christ who was offered. The Christ who was offered. As much as this passage is very sobering and what we have looked at is very, very serious. God is rich in mercy. And he has provided an escape for this wrath which is to come. The final part of this chapter reads, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. This is the good news, brethren. This is the gospel of Christ, that God has not left us without hope, but he has come to us in our time of need This Christ, who is the one who bore the sins of many, he has dealt with our iniquity. And not just our iniquity, but the guilt of that iniquity. What we must recognize, brethren, Jesus tasted death himself. The sinless son of God, the one who at this moment holds all things in the palm of his hands. And in him, the whole universe consists tasted death for his people but not for his sins for we know he was sinless he was spotless he tasted death that he could be the firstborn among many brethren jesus conquered death and he smashed the gates of hell like they were the most tiniest insignificant thing that has ever existed christ conquered death if god had have left us to our own devices brethren we would have had no hope whatsoever. But God, if you are men and women of the scriptures, you will know it's always been but God and always will be but God. But God so loved us that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. I think, in fact, I know that even as Christians, those who have called upon the name of the Lord, we really can't grasp what Christ has done for us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has reversed the fall that was caused by sin, by becoming sin on our behalf. God the Father condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ, treating him as if he had committed every sin that you and I had done. Not just our past sins either, brethren, our past sins, our present sins and our future sins. And the Lord crushed him. And that's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Debt has been paid The price of judgment has been paid that we all deserve. That's Jesus Christ for you, my friends. Then on the third day, he rose from death for our justification. Jesus being raised from dead is the biggest shout from heaven saying, sacrifice, accepted, debt paid in full. And Christ is the conquering king. That is our Jesus, my friend. He is the conquering king. And that's why we can sing in our hymn, which we've just sang, O grave, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Brethren, if you are here today and you are a Christian, and as I spoke last week about assurance, but if you are a Christian, one who is called upon Christ, who fears death, please hear me again. You have a father. You have a loving father who, because of his great love for you personally, sent his only begotten son to taste death and the horrors of death. He bore our hell so that we can live for an eternity free from sin and its consequences. Maybe you're here this evening downcast. Still, even after last week talking about assurance, you're still downcast and you are still saying, yes, but Nick, I've let the Lord down too many times. You just don't understand. I just live day by day, still hoping that there is enough grace for me when I face my final appointment with death. You listen to me again, downcast Christian. Stop listening to yourselves and stop listening to the lies of the devil. Yes, we strive not to sin. Yes, we want to live in total obedience to the Father and to the commandments that Christ gave us. But listen to the word of God, what it says about your sins, if you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, and heals all your your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, thank God, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So that is what the Lord thinks of your sin if you're in Christ Jesus this evening. So why are you downcast, oh my soul? You hope in God now. If you're in Christ, as I said last week, you have an advocate who at this moment as I speak is at the right hand of the Father interceding day in and day out. He will not let your appointment lead in condemnation Your life, as it says in Colossians, is hid in Christ, in God. And he who has begun a good work in you, brethren, oh, he will finish it. He will finish it. And listen to the apostle Paul, which is what he says if you are Christ this evening. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is he who condemns. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. If you're in Christ, there is nothing that can snatch you out of his hands, as I said last week. As it says in the songs of Solomon, the king has brought you into his chambers. So be glad and rejoice. Do you know how personal that is? That's what Christ says about you if you're his people. He has brought you into his secret place, into his chambers. It's because that is the love Christ has for you if you have called upon his name. Death has no more hold over you. Even though we will taste death, death, even though we will taste it, we will. There will be no sting because Christ has taken the sting of our death and we can sit here this evening and we can look to the sinless son of God. And because the sinless savior died, our sinful souls are counted free because God the just is satisfied. He is satisfied to look on him and pardon you and me if you're in Christ. So this evening. I want us to settle this in our own mind. God the Father is satisfied with what Christ has done. So why are some of you and I not satisfied of what Christ has done? And I say this to you, brethren. If you're calling yourself unclean still because of what, because of the sin that was passed, listen to what he says. What he said to Peter, he said, what God has cleansed, let no man call common. So do not call yourselves common because Christ has you in the palm of his hands. He's washed you. He's sanctifying you. You will be glorified and you will be like that brother who passed on those months ago in glory. Gazing upon the face of Christ and you will be casting your crown at his feet. Because of the sinless saviour. That is the confidence that we can have. Yes, death is fearful for the unbeliever, for the unregenerate man who mocks and scorns as we go out into the streets of Belper, Alverton, Sutton and Ashfield. They mock and scorn, yeah, death will sting for them. For they will, there's a silly notion that says they'll be outside the presence of God. No, God will be very present. His goodness will be gone, but his wrath will be there. God will ever be present in hell. But for you who have called upon his name, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So when that appointment comes, brethren, you can say, I am bold, not because of I. Not because what I have done, but Christ who dwells in me by his spirit and what he has done for this wretched savior. So I say today, before you leave, settle it in your own minds that God the father is satisfied with the sacrifice of his son. Go out them doors, live for your king, serve your king, be bold for your king, because he was bold for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.